Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for coming out tonight. We've got so many folks that are battling things and dealing with things that uh, we understand that uh, for folks to come out and to be out here, you are probably among the uh, braver, uh, though you are obedient, uh, and I give you credit for that, for your obedience, but you have uh, demonstrated character in being here tonight on this Sunday evening. Thank you so much. And let me say that you've been doing very well as far as the giving is concerned. Keep it up through the end of the year and on into 2022. We have our regular tithes and offerings, the missions giving, and our Christmas gift to Jesus fund. Also on the way out, be sure to pick up the various publications that we have available. We've got an Acts and Facts, all about snowflakes and creationism. And then we have our devotional guides, Days of Praise, which will enable you, uh, will help you uh, in your uh, personal devotions. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight, shall we? I would like to ask you to join me as we turn in the Word of God together. We're going to be in several places, and so I just uh, invite you to join me as we turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, please. That's where we'll begin. And let me say that our title tonight is the same as the title of the song written by John Peterson that we just sang. It's, uh, it is remarkable. The love of Jesus Christ is something wonderful. Now, 1 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul by inspiration. And uh, though not everything that we find uh, occurring and being referred to in 1 and 2 Timothy is also found in the book of Acts. We understand where the book of Acts closes, some other things begin. The book of Acts, of course, had a specific reason in its writing, its presentation, whereas 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, these are pastoral epistles written by the mentor, the older mentor, uh, Paul, to his protégés, Timothy and Titus. In this case, uh, Timothy is a pastor of a very successful church, uh, it's the church at Ephesus, and he is a young man. We know, relatively speaking, he's a young man. Let no man despise thy youth, Paul says in the fourth chapter. But we're going to be in the first chapter tonight. So if you would please follow, keeping in mind what Paul has said. I referred to it in Sunday school this morning. Paul's personal testimony is summarized in the first chapter of Philippians, as he writes to the church at Philippi from prison, he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now what does this that we have just shared with you and uh, have used as a prelude, uh, a preface to the rest of our message, what has this got to do with us? Well, we are in the month of December now, and as you know, we don't know when Jesus Christ was born. Uh, there's at least a 1 in 366 chance he was born on the 25th of December. We don't know. Uh, I've heard all the arguments for and against. But we celebrate Christmas not because of when he was born, but that he was born. And as we have pointed out this morning, there are so few of us, brother, there are so few of us that are still preaching that even mention the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, I think about that great uh, treatise. Uh, I'm sure you've got a copy uh, of Machen's work on the virgin birth. And how important it is. The virgin birth is absolutely essential to our having a biblical salvation. And as fantastic as it seems to the natural mind, it is certainly essential to our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Without the virgin birth, we don't have a sinless Savior. We don't have the Lamb of God. 
we have a martyred leader, a religious fanatic. That's all we've got. And uh, though he may have given some moralistic teaching, all that he claimed about himself would have been a lie. And then why would we believe anything he said? That just sort of wipes out. That, that argument covers it all. So we do believe what the Bible says. This has been confirmed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is the unique, the only begotten Son of God. He's the eternal Son of God. He always uh, has been and will always be the Son of God. And uh, He came in the form of a baby uh, to be our Redeemer, to be our Deliverer, but He's always been the Son of God. And that's why we have the various wording uh, of the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ in this way. All right, so... What impact should this have on us in this season, especially uh, with uh, Christmas as it is sometimes misrepresented by even Christians? I believe it's our opportunity, it's a golden opportunity for us to speak the truth in love. And so rather than going overboard on commercialism or um, decorations or celebratory things that would focus on ourselves and our own uh, obvious merriment and, and uh, gladness this time of year, we need to focus on the reasons why Jesus came, the conditions under which he came, and what that means to the people who uh, are celebrating Christmas and don't even know the full extent of it, don't understand it. We are here, we've been placed here uh, not to do a, a judgmental number on everybody that does it wrong, but rather to point out, speaking the truth in love, what is the truth about this whole matter? What does this time of year and our placement in this time of year have to do with this passage of Scripture? All right, let's, uh, let's look, look quickly at 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is the, the typical way of signing uh, the epistles in those days, the letters that were sent. They were sent by courier, and that was the only mail system they had. But Paul an apostle, uh, one that was sent with authority of Jesus Christ. We have the name that represents both his, his uh, humanity and his divine mission. Uh, he is Christ. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. By the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our, our hope. Now, hope is not the hope of this world. It is not some simple uh, human Confidence. It's not some vague wish, but it is, it is the blessed hope. It is the settled hope. It is that foundation upon which we stand. It has been demonstrated to be true and has yet to be disproved. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our hope. And He is, it's, I know it's a bumper sticker, but, and it's a song I wrote, but Jesus is the reason for the season. So let's... Talk about Jesus. Let's tell a lost and dying world every opportunity that Jesus came to this world and he lived and he died and was buried and he rose from the dead and he's alive forevermore. So every place I go, before they get a chance to, to say whatever they're going to say, whether it's uh, something very watered down or something that's close to the truth, I immediately say, Merry Christmas. I want, I want to personally wish you a Merry Christmas. And then if they look, you know, stunned or startled for a moment and the line's not too long, I say, and let me tell you how you can have that Merry Christmas, what that means to me personally, and share the gospel. 
the worst thing they can do is tell you that in the midst of what is about to become uh, a depression, perhaps financially, uh, all they can do is kick out another customer. That's all they can do. They can't have you arrested for that. You're just you're sharing. You're bubbling over. You're you're uh, experiencing uh, the abundance uh, of the abundant life, and you're sharing that with people. Let's just think about it before we go out into all of that controversy and all of that negativity and uh, a lot of crabby folks who ought not to be so crabby, but uh, but they're out there and they're just uh, showing their attitude. Let's be positive and let's say. You know, let me tell you why it's a Merry Christmas. Jesus Christ saved me and changed my life. That's a good opener, isn't it, Daquan? Amen. And, uh, you know, yeah, 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 they can push you on your way, but at least you've gotten that much out. Leave a track, leave a smiley face, and praise the Lord, we can do that. Jesus Christ himself is our hope. He's our settled foundation. Unto Timothy or Timotheus, uh, mine own son in the faith, this means that he was instrumental in Timothy coming to Christ, to saving faith. Grace, mercy, and peace. Those three words often together. And notice that grace comes before peace. We, we always have uh, grace and peace, but peace is never before grace. It's always afterwards. And the grace is God's riches, God's uh, unmerited favor at Christ's expense. And uh, we know mercy is sparing us what we ought to receive in judgment. And we know that peace is putting our life, our broken life, all back together in, in perfect placement and harmony in Jesus Christ. That comes from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. The construction, once again, proving that they are one and the same. One God, one essence, two, two separate persons, three in the Trinity, of course. As I besought thee, to besought means to seek with intensity. When you put the B-E on the front of sought, that's with intensity. Thee to abide at Ephesus. You say, what does that mean? That means stay there. That means don't quit. That means don't give up. He is the pastor. You talk about being the golden boy, being the, the young, uh, up, uh, you know, the rising star. Uh, that, that's Timothy. I besought thee to abide. Stay still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Ah, so there's trouble in River City. There's trouble there uh, that they teach no other doctrine, no other teaching, false teaching. We're going to get to that. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. It seems like there are a lot of ways to get off track. There, there's one way to stay on track, and there are many ways to get off track. Isn't that the devil's way? He fights dirty, doesn't he? But... We have um, endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying. After we're saved and after we have discovered our gift or spiritual gifts uh, of, and by the Holy Spirit, we develop these for the glory of God to be used uh, throughout our, our, uh, our day, our life uh, as we minister. Godly edifying which is in faith. It's based in truth. It's based in uh, uh, standing on the promises Believing what God has said. So do. Just do it. Just do it. Now verse 5. Please <clears throat> mark it down. Now the end, the end result of the commandment is charity. That's agape love. Out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith 
unfeigned. That means the real thing, real faith, Bible faith. Let's read it again. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll fill us now with the Holy Spirit and help us as we seek to give this verse-by-verse study and comments. Lord, I pray that you'll guide us into all truth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life and through the Word. I pray that tonight we might understand our placement in time and specifically this month around those celebrations that others may be anticipating and help us to fill in the blank and to talk about Jesus. In His name we pray, amen. How do you look? What do you look like these days? What kind of an impression do you leave? That's that's so important that we make sure that we leave an accurate impression, a testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in our heart and life. Just like we've sung, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? We need to be able to share and to do so genuinely, accurately, and, uh, and in, a, in a way that people will stop and pay attention. A little street girl was taken ill on Christmas and was carried to the hospital. And there she was presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ coming into the world, being born as a baby in Bethlehem. She had never heard this before. Uh, because of her condition, she had never been to Sunday school or church, had never, had never heard, no one had ever told her of Jesus Christ. And there in the hospital, uh, she genuinely received Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Now, she didn't instantly have riches and she didn't have education, but, but she had Jesus. And let me tell you, brother, let me tell you, sister, uh, that's the right start. That's enough right there. She had Jesus. And so she began to, to suddenly with this heightened sensitivity look for others that might have Jesus. And she determined that she was going to share Jesus. Now this is just a little girl, a little poor girl from the wrong side of the tracks and she's sick and she's in the hospital and uh, <clears throat> she's looking around for people to tell about Jesus. I think that's good. True story. And a nurse came in and nurse looked like, oh, like the worst thing could have happened to her. And so the little girl began to witness to her. And uh, she said, uh, do you know about Jesus who was born and came and lived and died and was buried and rose from the dead? And the nurse slowly said, yes. And do you know that he died to save you and that he can come into your heart? And, he, and she said, yes. And then she said, shh, you've got to be quiet now. You can't talk. And the little girl went on. She said, you know, I told you uh, about Jesus because you didn't look like you know him. And the nurse said, what do you mean? She says, you always come in here, you're so sad. You're so glum. You, you look so sad and so, so upset and worried. And so I was just going to tell you because I thought you'd never heard that Jesus was born right around this time of, of the year, she thought, Christmas. Most people don't think about the impression that we leave. Most Christians don't spend very much time thinking about that impression. Right now, is a golden opportunity. In our former 
ministry. We had street ministry, and we'd be out on the street once a week. And uh, even in California, it gets extremely cold in December out on the street. We would get cold out there. But we would have folks holding up signs, and others of us, the men that were able, were preaching from the street corners as cars would stop and they'd have to listen to us preach. People would come by and there'd be shoppers and so forth. And, and we would frequently have folks that would be saved, be led to Christ. And uh, I finally discovered something. At Christmas and other times, people are not automatically smiling. They're not conscious of how they look. They're not happy. Many of them don't know the Lord and so they would not have the same joy that we have. But there are professing believers who are not smiling. They're not looking as though they've experienced a new birth in Christ. And so I, I spoke to the troops and I said, here's what I want you to try. I tried it last time and it really worked. You're holding that sign when I wasn't doing the preaching or the singing, holding the sign and it's got scripture verse on it. And just make sure that you've got your smile showing over the top of it. And then just grin, just grin. They say, grin for no reason. No, you've got a reason. Jesus is the reason for you to grin. So just grin. Just the biggest grin. And wave at people and smile. And, you know, we're holding verses, and some of them say, the wages of sin is death. <laughs> or something like that. You know? Uh, all the nations shall be cast into hell. I mean, we had all kinds of verses. Some positive, and, and some, of course, about judgment. But I said, just grin. Just grin at people. And pretty soon we began to get responses back that we didn't appear to be, um, uh, you know, foreboding and, and passing judgment on people. And people would listen to our witness. And that's so very important. That's a lesson that's learned from the little girl in the hospital who said, I didn't know that you were a Christian. I didn't think you were because you didn't look like it. The Lord Jesus Christ has not saved us so that we can be an ad a bad advertisement for salvation, but rather... We can do something about helping people to understand the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the verse that I focused on, verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity. What, what is Paul saying with respect to Timothy and his ministry? Timothy has some problems that are starting to crop up, as we do in all churches, but some of these people are doing things that need to be corrected according to the Word of God. That's the way they get corrected, through preaching and teaching and pointing out the truth, laying the truth alongside of error. But please notice what Paul said to him. Charge some, verse 3, that they teach no other doctrine. Look up here. This is all people need to hear. Anything else that we say that may um, help people to understand what's in here, that's extra, but... This is what you can take to the bank of heaven. I'm talking about the Word of God. So stick to the Bible. Make it a Bible-based ministry, Book of Acts ministry. Make it, make it uh, specifically correct in what is taught, that they teach no other doctrine, nothing else. You come up with something that's novel and wonderful, go start your own religion. But for Bible-believing Baptists, the Bible is our authority for faith and practice, period. We may have a confession or a, um, a statement of faith, some prefer to call it, that says certain, certain things that we believe to clarify in any given uh, period of history 
what may have been in question or what some folks may have encountered in the way of difficulties. And so those clarifications are put down in the form of a doctrinal statement. But that doctrinal statement is not our final authority. The Bible is our final authority. Whenever someone says, I want to be a teacher or a helper, we need to make sure that they are solid when it comes to their doctrine. Not just that they love kids, not just that they love teenagers, not just that they have a desire to, quote, do something, but that they definitely are led of the Lord to, to tell the truth, to tell what's between the covers of the Bible. That's important. Neither give heed to fables. So you see, there's another way that some were getting sidetracked. They were, I don't know if these were the literal fables of Aesop or just this is a, a basket, uh, sort of a term uh, to cover all that is not absolute truth. But anything that is not in the Word of God cannot be given the authority of the Word of God. That's why, for example, we Bible believers do not accept the apocryphal books as being divinely inspired Word of God. We understand that these books were, in some cases, historical, in some cases, fanciful. They were literature in the times of the Bible, but they are not the Bible. They are not uh, the, the true uh, Word of God. Neither are any of the false uh, Gospels, the Pseudepigraphica. Uh, there are, I have been told, up to 100, some have said up to 200 uh, extant false Gospels. And you have the Gospel of Peter. It's not our Peter. You have the Gospel of Mary. You have the Gospel of Judas. And all of these contain error. And those were undoubtedly being circulated, uh, you know, and, and without the authentication and the verification uh, process, people might have been led to think, wow, here's this, here's this new one, just got written. It's called, it's called the Gospel of Judas, which was the basis of Dan Brown's heretical book and movie, The Da Vinci Code. That's just old satanic lies being dredged up and regurgitated. And we understand that. So, by the way, you, you might like, you know, you might like Opie, you might, you might like Tom Hanks, but that doesn't give us any license to watch stuff that's out of the pit of hell. And so, I didn't, and I won't. And I, you can ask me about other so-called controversial things that have been put out. I just, I'm not going to bother to even do that. I'll read somebody else's review. I'll base my my, uh, my understanding on somebody that I trust, but I'm not going to subject that garbage to my mind. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. So we have endless genealogies, other doctrine, fables, and these things minister questions. Minister questions. There's something fundamentally wrong with a so-called ministry that creates more questions than answers questions. Jesus Christ, we say, is still the answer, and He is. The Bible is still true. And when somebody asks me, what do you believe about this? And they will talk about some social uh, question that may need a biblical response. Or they'll ask me about some... Uh, economic or political philosophy and what does the Bible say 
about that. And I can give an accurate answer. I can accurately answer that. I may not have the complete answer, but I can answer what the Bible says and what I know that the Bible says. And that's the way we begin. We say, now let's, let's take a look at what the Bible says about this. Let's, let's turn in the Bible. And so it behooves us to have a handle on where things are found in the Bible. Very important. So we have a problem here in 1 Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying, you don't want any other doctrine. If it's not in the Bible, it's not doctrine. So don't, any other doctrine. Nothing, nothing even that, that you want to uh, make fit or that you want to... Uh, uh, overlay. You don't want any overlay doctrine. There are a number of overlaying doctrines, teachings that have been applied to the Bible and in their extreme forms, they, I believe, they undermine the faith of the adherents and certainly alienate people one from another unnecessarily. We need to be careful about that. Everything needs to come out of the Bible, not being placed on top of something that's in the Bible. But be careful, no other doctrine, don't give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than, here's what we're supposed to do, godly edifying, which is in faith. To edify, like the noun edifice, a building, to edify, the verb means to build, to build up. When we cross paths with other believers, Certainly, we can talk about current events. We can talk about sports. We can talk, ladies can talk about ladies' stuff. And we can have some small talk. That's, that's all right. But our being with each other and crossing paths ought to strengthen our faith. It ought to strengthen our Christianity. Otherwise, those people should not be in our close circle or we should not be in their close circle. Our purpose is, for interaction with other believers is to strengthen them. Jesus said to Peter, who was a mess during those three years in extra change, uh, he was a mess. And uh, he said, uh, Simon, when thou art converted, when you are changed, when, when you get up to speed, when you get up to speed as a believer, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. What's he supposed to do? He fails miserably, and there on the shoreline in John 21, he says, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Get back in the game. Get back. What's he supposed to do? Make a positive spiritual, uh, have a positive spiritual impact. Make a positive effect upon the lives of people with whom you have to deal. That's why we're here. That's why we're here now during this season. We know Christmas is coming. Don't get into arguments about was Jesus born on the 25th of December or not? Are you looking at me? Don't get into an argument with anybody about that. Whatever they say is their business. But here's the bottom line. Nobody who is alive now knows. You may think you know but you just think you know. That's it. Don't get into an argument with people about things that are in the realm of Christian liberty. To have a tree or not to have a tree. To have decorations or not to have decorations. To have a nativity scene or not to have a nativity scene. 
you say, well, those things, I feel very strongly about those things. There are people who won't have nativity scenes because they've come out of Catholicism. And they think about the icons back in Catholicism. I had a friend in Bible college that uh, he, would, he would feel he lost his salvation if he went into a restaurant that had booze. And I don't think you ought to go into a place that's primarily a place where they sell booze, but that's just me. That's my preference. But he was, he was so, so dead set on that that he would preach it, and that, would, that became the, uh, the burr under his saddle as far as other believers were concerned. He thought they were just terrible believers because they would eat in a restaurant that had beer or wine. Try to show me a good restaurant nowadays that doesn't. It's very, very difficult. Uh, it's very, very hard. I'm not excusing it, and I don't want to have anything to do with it, and I don't want to give a nickel to the liquor industry. But that's, that's just the way. Some people really, really are impressed about that. They're really concerned about that. Some are really concerned about Christmas trees, Christmas decorations, nativity scenes. You know, um, our boys grew up not believing in Santa Claus. I'm sorry. I should not have said that. I know that that just destroyed it. For you, Gabe, yes, yes, all right, have to tell you. I understand the whole history of St. Nicholas and, and the myths surrounding all of that. And uh, the, the, he's kind of the generic uh, secular representation now of good cheer and good humor and so on and so forth. And my even talking about it probably is going to cause some people to go off the rails. But that's not what we're supposed to be about. One of my dear, dear friends who is now in heaven ran a bus ministry and he thought the best way to dispel the myth of Santa Claus was to put a Santa Claus on every bus and they had, I can't tell you how many dozen buses. And so he, he said, having all these Santa Clauses walking around church, well, I don't personally want that. But I can't do anything about him. He's in heaven. And uh, that, was, that was his way of handling it. There's all kinds of differences that people have. And this time of year, it would be very easy for the devil to stir us up and get us angry at everybody else about how much they spend or don't spend, about what they do to celebrate, and what they don't do, what their kids believe and don't believe, and so forth. I, as your pastor, have a responsibility. First and foremost, pay close attention. Get this now. Understand this. All right? Tyler, listen up. Get this. Very important. My job, my calling, is to feed the flock of God. He has given me the oversight of this flock. And part of my job, preacher, part of my job is to keep the sheep from fighting with each other. Because we will. If left to our own senses and sensibilities, we'll fight with each other over the littlest things. Um, every Baptist church I know is different from every other Baptist church in some way. If there are two Baptist churches that are absolutely identical in every way, and they're not, it's just a you know, perception that we have. Those churches are similar. All Baptist churches differ from all other Baptist churches in at least some way. So when a person moves from this place and from this church, and they move to, let's say, the Carolinas or Georgia, or they move to Florida, or they move up to Pennsylvania, or out to the Midwest, or the Far West, or to some other country if they want to go. They are not going to find the identical church. 
They can't put this church on wheels if they would want to. I don't know that they would. But if they would want to move this church and the people to that place, you can't. Here's what you have to do. You have to find a church that takes the same stand for the Word of God. And then if there are other things that are slightly different, you're going to have to ask God for grace to help you with those things. Either that or start your own church. That's as simple as it gets. And so applying all of that to what's going on this time of year, the devil would like to stir us up and get us angry at each other for the way we celebrate Christmas or don't celebrate Christmas. For the way we talk about the different things that I've just mentioned or a whole lot of other things that I haven't mentioned. What we should stay focused on is positively presenting Jesus Christ. He is our focus, not only at Christmas, but all year long. And He's the one we love. And He's the one we want to keep talking about. And He's the one we want to share. As we go into places, as we witness door to door, and as we're talking to people, they invite us in sometimes. Sometimes they don't. But if they show pity on us, especially as it gets colder, and they say, come on in, and we step just inside the door, and we're talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, their house may be filled with Santa Claus and elves and all kinds of things. Don't comment on that. Unless you can say something positive. Don't comment on that. Just say, I'm glad we, we are staying focused on Jesus Christ. He's the reason for the season. And be positive about it. Be the good ambassador for Jesus Christ that we ought to be. And how are we going to do this? The end of the commandment is charity out of what? Put it down. Number one, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a faith unfeigned. That's your one, two, three. That's your outline. The Holy Spirit has put it there for us to see. Charity comes out of a pure heart, a heart that's been washed, a heart that's uh, currently right with God. And I know that we could probably speak more about that, but we have to take care of our personal issues. And today, some folks came forward and prayed about some things and praised the Lord. Only they and the Lord know about those things. And when we get through tonight, you're going to be praying about some things, and only you and the Lord may know about those things. But we want to maintain a pure heart, a clean heart. We want to maintain a good conscience. Once again, based on the truth, based on what we know to be right. A good conscience and a faith unfeigned. Not phony faith, not pumped up faith, not just the terminology. One of the biggest obstacles to New Testament Christianity in the 20th century was the rise of New Evangelicalism and Neo-Orthodoxy. And those are not terms we hear very much anymore. But New Evangelicalism was coined by the eminent evangelist and uh, Carl Henry and a few other writers. And they, they did not want to be hard on things like separation. They didn't want to be hard on, uh, on uh, our sticking to the Word of God exclusively. They wanted us to be inclusivists, and they thought that we could do a better job of winning the world if we compromised with the world. That's just putting it mildly. Now, I don't believe all those new evangelicals were lost. I believe that the new evangelicals, the new evangelicals were just old evangelicals that decided to give up on some things. That's what I believe. Most, most cases, that's it. Now, every once in a while, you find one that wasn't saved, but... Um, that's not for me to judge. Neo-Orthodox, that's a different horse of a different color. 
New Orthodoxy took all of our Bible terms, all of our essential Bible words, and gave them new definitions. This is the problem with New Orthodoxy. We've got some, some modern 21st century New Orthodox people that are parading around as independent Baptists. And that, that, what they've done is they have taken great biblical terms and they've dumbed them down because, quite frankly, there is a much lower spiritual IQ and understanding than there was, say, 50 or 100 years ago. So they've dumbed it down. And their whole purpose in dumbing it down is to make it more palatable and understandable by those who don't have background in the Bible or haven't taken the time or too lazy to do so or the preacher hasn't taught correctly. You understand what I'm saying. Even though we try to make things plainer and easier at times for people to put things together, we must never leave it just in its simpler form, but we must be uh, as complete as possible. That's why in your statements of faith, our statement of faith as a church, there's a, there's a paragraph of print about what we believe, what we accept, uh, together, covenant together to accept regarding each of the major doctrines. And then there are a, a, a full additional paragraph of just references, of proof texts. Now, you know what I'm talking about. If you look up all those proof texts, or if you printed out all those proof texts, it would go on for pages. And then if you printed out those proof texts and put uh, good, solid, biblical commentary alongside each verse, it would, go, it would be a book. Each, and that's correct, each major doctrine, even parts of a doctrine, would each be a, be a book in length. That's it. Because we don't easily exhaust this truth. It is not shallow truth. It is deep truth. So whereas we want people to understand the truth, we don't want to just leave it at that and say, that's the whole thing. For me to say, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, you don't have to do any more study of grace, that's it. All the verses and all the doctrines and all the things, teaching about grace in the Bible, you don't have to do that. Just understand that little, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. Wrong. That was just a little tool to help people remember that it's God's unmerited favor. It is undeserved. And there's so much to be learned about grace. Uh, I'm trying to think. The uh, theologian from Dallas that wrote the book on grace, uh, Sparrow Schaefer, I think, wrote the, with the book on grace. A, a great text. Not totally exhaustive, but about that thick. And a good start. A very good start. But each of these things that we're talking about, you see, we talk about faith unfeigned. If you're going to have the real thing, it is, it is understood, it is believed, it is, it, is, uh, it is what we stand upon, it is foundational, and we don't give it up. We don't give it up. I mean, we die for the truth. Make up your mind, you're willing to die for the truth, the truth of the Word of God. Now, the problem, the practical part of this is from this point on. Verse 6, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. They've gotten sidetracked. I listened to a preacher on the radio. I'm going to confess this now. Yesterday, I was, uh, I, I, I pulled in and I had one of these FM stations that's got, you know, every kind of preacher, you know, I'm just going to call him that. I happen to know this man. I happen to know 
that he was trained uh, in the most basic and solid Southern Baptist institution and was trained under certain very conservative Southern Baptist professors. And what I heard come out of his mouth, I couldn't believe. I mean, I was just blown away. I had heard things, but it was, he was missing the mark totally. He was not sticking with the book. What did he do? He swerved. He turned aside unto vain jangling. He filled 30 minutes on the radio with vain jangling. Not, not uh, charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Because the neo-Orthodox folks of the 20th century and the 21st century version of them have redefined love. Charity, love, is not what the Bible says in context to them. But to them, charity is a good feeling. Charity is everybody playing nice with everybody else really shallow and it's a shame because you wouldn't have to doc you wouldn't have to you wouldn't have to go uh, to Bible college and then to seminary and and get all you all you have to do is turn on the radio on Saturday and listen to these guys and you get enough of, of this shallow pap and you call it preaching and if you present it and this is the key if you present it in a uh, uh, a way that is appealing, you get yourself a call to some big pulpit someplace. And they'll go for that. And the reason is, you're not making any waves. You're not ruffling any feathers. And you're not making anybody upset. And I feel like today, if I didn't make at least my flesh upset, I wasn't preaching. But I did make my flesh upset. And enough of that. Desiring to be teachers of the law. They're looking for recognition. Isn't that, that's a disease, isn't it, preacher? That's a, that's a disease. I want to be recognized. I want to have this after my name. I want to be recognized. I want to have my name uh, embossed on the list of best sellers and so forth. All right. So, teachers of the law. Understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. At least not in the sense of what was intended by God. They've got a whole new uh, way of interpretation. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. We understand the place of, of all that preceded grace, everything uh, from law. We understand that it was all part of God's master plan. We know that. God chose out uh, a line of people. He chose out uh, a people for himself, a nation that he uh, built from scratch. And through that line came the Word of God, came the became the Son of God, and what we have and what we understand. Essentially, in the first few years after, uh, after Jesus Christ, the, the, the church is essentially, uh, you know, Jewish in its makeup, but uh, it, it's all flowing out of that. We understand the place of that. A lot of things were settled in Acts chapter 15. You can read it. A lot of things were settled in the book of Galatians. There are still people today who are uh, struggling with Galatianism, and they've got it in their thinking. But here Paul is saying, 
We know the law is good if a man use it lawfully, if it's in its right place. That would go for any part of the Word of God. If it's in its context, if it's understood in its context, not all of the Bible was written about us, and not all of it was written to us, but all of it is written for us. We understand that it has a context. And with that context, we can be, we can be benefited, we can be better, we can serve the Lord more effectively, but it's not necessarily something that we're going to act on because it wasn't written for that purpose. We understand that. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, and for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to... Notice the last two words. Sound doctrine. So here we have the carnal outworking, the sinful, graphically stated sinful outworking of that which happens when you get away from the Bible. When you get away from your foundation. Now we happen to have the inspired and preserved Word of God. The King James Version is the inspired Word of God. Every syllable, every bit of it the Word of God, the inspiration is in it because of the preservation. We're preservationists in that sense. So we feel sorry for the folks that are, you know, they, they prefer the ESV or they pre prefer the NIV or the American Standard or the New American Standard or some other uh, translation of minority corrupted texts. And yet if you ask them, are you holding in your hand? the inspired and preserved Word of God. I haven't found too many that thought they were. They haven't got it. And whenever they compare what they do use with anything else, they always compare it to the King James. That's the standard. That's the yardstick. There you go. But here we have some folks that have descended morally, uh, socially, according to the, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Here the, the mentor is speaking to the protege and he's saying our calling, what we have is from God. This is not from man. People are going to change. They're going to be fickle. They're going to they're drift. And, and I'm glad you're here tonight. But if you had all gone away and decided I don't want to be part of a King James Bible believing soul winning church I don't want to be part of a church that preaches and teaches biblical separation and you decided to leave. I would be standing up here tonight preaching into that camera and praying for the day when people would come in and try to get them in, but I would still do it. And the reason I would do it is because man didn't call me to this thing. God called me. And I'm going to stand. And many of you will stand too as well. Praise the Lord. All right. He's saying, before he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So here we have the application of, of those particular uh, things that we're talking about already. The grace, abundant with faith and love. You have the three, 1 Corinthians 13. Yes. And... How does this apply to us now, this time, Christmas? 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I have used this as a Christmas text for over 50 years. I have preached it then and through the years and I preach it now. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his purpose. And then Paul hastens to add, of whom I am chief. In case you thought I was setting myself on a pedestal, he says, I'm not. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. All right, and then he goes on and he says that God gets the glory unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, only wise God, and so forth. Giving him the glory. I've looked at this and uh, thought about how I would round this out. And I, I, I think about uh, one of the preachers that my dad was close with years and years and years. I mean, going back to Southern California days. So we're talking 30, 40 years ago. Uh, one of his friends in the ministry said that there are seven sure tests of false prophets. And I've, I've taught this with scriptures accompanying. But test number one, do they confess Jesus Christ as God's son? Believe it or not, those that were drifting, swerving, have many of them have gone totally, totally gone. I heard about a preacher, I think it was two or three years ago. He's got huge crowds up in the north, and he doesn't believe in hell, and he preaches that a loving God would not uh, have a burning hell for those that are lost. He's a universalist, and he's a heretic. Do they confess Jesus Christ as God's Son? If there is not a burning hell, and if it is not absolutely awful, then the suffering of Jesus Christ was totally in vain. It was the most cruel hoax that God ever perpetrated on anybody. And the love that we have needs to be as intense as it is because of the, the wickedness of sin and our hate of sin and of the devil. And it's absolutely right for us to hate sin and hate the devil. Number two, false prophet. What is their affiliation or relationship with the world? My uncle Archer, who was a great preacher on separation, his sermon's been printed for, you know, 60, 70 years now on the subject of separation. He said, ministries that begin to operate in the flesh end up in the sins of the flesh. If you operate in a fleshly manner, you're going to end up in the sins of the flesh. Number three, test. Do they endeavor to deceive true Christianity? Test number four. What are their true convictions toward commandments of, the commandments of God? Test number five. Do they love the brethren, even the unlovely brethren? Test number six. Are they indwelt of the Holy Spirit? Test number seven. Do they accept or stand on the Word of God? And that's the make or break. You can see more in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 as we read about false prophets, false teachers, and so forth. It's Christmas. It's that time of the year. But all year long, we should be talking about Jesus Christ. Our doctrine, our right practice, according to the Word of God, should be to the ultimate end that this charity would be manifested out of our life. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And you will find... There will be others out there. Right now, I will guarantee you, this Sunday, there were numbers of people who went to their church, of their historic 
background and connections. And they were disappointed because uh, another doctrine was sacrificed. Another truth was compromised. And they're seriously thinking about, they're afraid to leave their fill-in-the-blank church because mama's buried in the back, 40. And they, they were brought up in it. They've been there all their life. They're 30, 40, 50 years. And, but they're really seriously thinking about leaving it. You, I guarantee you, there are people right now who today are thinking about leaving their church because they were disappointed with the failure of the pulpit ministry to stand for this book. Now they may not be perfect in every regard. They might have got sprinkled instead of baptized. You know, they might believe in some extreme thing that we don't believe in. But they're looking for another church. They're thinking about looking for another church. And when you're out there and you're witnessing of your faith in Jesus Christ and know how you love Jesus and you've got the joy of Jesus flowing out of you, they're going to see a, something they haven't seen in a long time. While you're winning souls and witnessing to people, they're going to come up and tug on your sleeve, on your coattail, and they're going to say, what is it about you? Why are you doing this? And you're going to find out that they've made profession of faith in Jesus Christ and maybe they've truly been saved, but they're in a bad church situation. And let me give you some advice to give to them. Rarely does a bad church situation turn around. There are exceptions, and thank God for all exceptions. But rarely, when a church, an association, a fellowship, a denomination goes downhill, the, I mean, the skids are greased, and they rarely, if ever, come back to the Word of God. Rarely, if ever. You're going to have an opportunity to win souls this Christmas. You're going to have an opportunity to witness of the faithfulness of the ministry of God's Word in your experience. And you're going to help some people. You're going to edify some people. And that's what should be the result for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That should be the natural result of our living out this. Yes, we stand against everything that's false. But if I just stand up here and harangue against false doctrine, it's not going to do a lot of good unless you take it and use it in a practical way such as we have described tonight. Jesus is wonderful. Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the Word of God, something in the message spoke to my heart? Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Yes. How many of you are saying right now to the Lord in some private and personal way, there's something you're going to do about this. You're going to actually allow the Lord to make a change in your life in some area. Slip your hand up. Yes. Yes. Amen. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, let me invite you right now to call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. You can't get saved by the law, by good works, or by moral uh, living. You can only get to heaven by receiving the one and only answer to sin's problem, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And right now, if you'll call upon His name, just pray this from your heart and mean it. Here's what you say, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. and I deserve to pay for my sins. I'm sorry for them. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And right now, I receive Him into my heart and life as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. 